when they have a sonogram, they keep their baby. So um, just like the, the story that was read about Jesus and his heart towards mothers and their babies, um, today we begin that. So as we turn to our Bibles in Genesis 25, we, we have a book that is a story of faith and a genealogy from beginning to us. Um, and one of the things that we don't look at real often is women of faith. The reality is that wherever you find a man of faith, you find a woman behind and beside that man. And oftentimes you find women of faith where they stand alone and they are in the Bible. So we have a book filled with women in our genealogy of faith that makes its way to Christ, um, that makes its way through God's word to us. So we're going to look at some of those today as we, we think of Father Abraham being father of faith, the, the incredible faith it took him to offer his son Isaac so that he could be chosen to be the one that would be the father of our faith. And we see his wife, Sarah, who we don't hear a lot about in the context of what is happening in Abraham's life until Paul writes the book of Hebrews. And when he writes this hall of faith chapter in Hebrews chapter 11, he writes about Sarah. And that verse is in your notes there, and Paul writes, And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. So Sarah, it says there in your notes, um, in 2066 B.C., 2,000 years before Christ, um, it says here that she was barren, she was childless. And we learn that throughout the Bible, that she's, um, I thought about having my mom stand, I won't do that to her, but... Um, just, just a visual in our minds that if she stood, um, she would have to wait another eight years before her womb would be open. This woman who was menopausal for probably 40 years has her womb opened to give birth to this boy, Isaac. And it says to us in Hebrews that the reason her womb was open is because she considered him who had made the promise faithful. So her womb was opened in her heart before it was in her womb because her heart believed that since he made the promise, it will happen. And because she believed that her womb was open, that, that genealogy of faith goes on forward and, and we come to Rebecca's story in the Bible. Rebecca becomes the wife of this man, Isaac. Um, we're going to look a little bit at this story, but you see as you read the story of Isaac, uh, a closer connection to God through Rebecca, his wife, than we see to Isaac in many ways. We begin reading in chapter 25 and verse 19. This is the account of the family line of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah. Hold on to that in your minds. Daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean from Padan Aram, and sister of Laban, the Aramean. We will see him later today as well. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife. 
because she was childless. So like Sarah, her womb is closed for a specific birth. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife Rebekah became pregnant. The babies jostled within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she, Rebekah, went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other. The older will serve the younger. All of those things are fulfilled throughout the scriptures. Verse 24. When the time came for her to give birth, there were, two, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. So if we begin in verse 19, we see that Isaac is 40 years old. And it reads like he prayed to the Lord and she became pregnant. Well, that is true, but it was 20 years later. So for 20 years, this couple is praying and probably convinced from a human perspective, no child is coming, even though God has promised. Um, so they are praying and praying, and she becomes pregnant, and then there is this turmoil going on in her womb with these two babies literally wrestling in her stomach. And she goes off privately and says, Lord, what's going on? And Jesus would have been the one speaking. He said, well, there are two nations in your womb, and they will, they will be strife between the two of them. And the oldest one, the one that comes out first, will actually be weaker and will serve the younger one. So he's prophesying the na nation of Edom, which David would conquer, and the nation of Israel, which would descend from Jacob. So Jesus himself gives Rebekah herself the future of the children that are in her womb. And as we go forward um, to chapter 27, you don't have to see these stories the way that I see them, but I see Rebecca as a faithful woman rather than a conniving woman. I see that she was given the prophecy. She is the one. She would have undoubtedly told Isaac what the Lord said to her, that it's actually the youngest son that the promise is going to come through, and it is actually the oldest son that will serve the youngest son. Well, by the time we come to chapter 20 of Genesis, Isaac has a favorite son, and his name is Esau. And Rebekah has a favorite son, and his name is Jacob. And Rebekah knows that it is Jacob, that he is the one that God is planning to go through. So what happens is that the blessing of the firstborn and the rights of the birthright are, by God's determination, Jacob's. By human standards, they are Isaac's. The father, excuse me, they are Esau's. Isaac decides, I'm going to give them to my son Esau. Rebekah gets wind of this and she becomes involved. Verse 13 
His mother said to him, My son, let this curse fall on me. Just do what I say. Go and get them for me. What she is doing is Isaac has said to his son Esau, I'm going to give you a blessing. Go out and cook some game for me and come back and I will give you this blessing. Rebecca says, while he's out there, I'm going to cook the food. I'm going to make you look like Esau because Isaac is nearly blind at this time and I'm going to put you in position to get the blessing and if there is a curse to be had, let it be on me. Verse 14, so he went and got them and brought them to his mother and she prepared some tasty food just the way his father liked it. Then Rebekah took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, that she had in the house and put them on her younger son, Jacob. She also covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with the goat skins. Then she handed her son to Jacob, handed to her son Jacob the tasty food and the bread she had made. He went to his father and said, My father, yes, my son, he answered, Who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau. So there is conniving here that is not in doubt, but there is also the reality that God spoke to Rebekah and said, It's Jacob. So when Isaac decides it's Esau, she steps in, Rebecca steps in, and she puts Jacob in the position to receive the blessing that God had promised. Drop down to verse 42. In verse 41, Esau has said, the, the days of mourning of my father are near, his father's about to die, which isn't actually true. He dies decades later, but we pick it up in verse 42. When Rebekah was told that her older son Esau had said, and I have a question that I don't have an answer to. Who told her? Who told Rebekah that her oldest son is about to kill her youngest son? Might it be the same person that spoke to her from heaven? Verse 42, when Rebekah was told what her older son Esau had said, she sent for her younger son Jacob and said to him, your brother Esau is planning to avenge himself by killing you. Now then, my son, do what I say. Flee at once to my brother Laban. We read about him earlier in Haran. Stay with him for a while until your brother's fury subsides. When your brother is no longer angry, with you and forgets what you did to him, I'll send word to you to come back from there. Why should I lose both of you in one day? Her oldest son has turned against her because what has happened. Verse 46, then Rebekah said to Isaac, I am disgusted with living because of these Hittite women. If Jacob takes a wife from among the women, if this land from Hittite women like these my life will not be worth living. So there is the reality that Jacob needs a wife. It is not going to be a Hittite wife. So she is fulfilling what God's plan is. He is going back to where his grandfather Abraham is from and his father Isaac, and he's going to find a wife there. And he doesn't know what all is going to happen, but in this journey there and back, God, as Jacob knows, goes from being Abraham and Isaac's God to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's God. 
This is the journey where God of heaven becomes God of Jacob. And Jacob's name will be changed in this journey from Jacob to Israel. So he would become the father of Israel. And we move on in our story as we turn to Genesis chapter 29. And a woman that we probably have more to be known about her by far than we could ever know. So when Isaac goes back to Paden Aram and finds Rebekah and marries her, then Jacob goes back there the same way. And they meet the same way. And Jacob is there praying and he is waiting for God to send the wife to him. And that's where we pick up this story. He meets shepherds there and he is trying to figure out who his relatives are. Verse 9 of chapter 29 of Genesis. While he was still talking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherd. When Jacob saw Rachel, daughter of his uncle Laban, and Laban's sheep, he went over and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep aloud. So this is a connection that I'm 100% convinced is made in heaven. That it was always to be, Jacob would go to this well, the woman that would come would be Rachel, he knows in his spirit, this is my wife. This is God's choice for me. He gives her a kiss. They've never met. And he begins to weep aloud. He begins to cry. This woman from the territory his ancestry is from, verse 12, he had told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and the son of Rebekah. So she ran and told her father, as soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he hurried to meet him. He embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his home. And there Jacob told him all these things. Then Laban said to him, you are my own flesh and blood. So this story seems complete in these few verses. It is God's plan that the younger will serve the older, that he will have the birthright and the blessing, that he would go back to Paden Aram, and this woman would come to the same well that he comes to, and he meets her, explains to her that they are relatives. He kisses her, weeps aloud. Her father comes out and he says, you are now flesh of my flesh. We are now family. What happens next is the conniving of the man named Laban, and he tricks Jacob into marrying his other daughter. We go to Genesis chapter 30, verse 22. What happens in the verses between is that Jacob has a wedding ceremony. Rachel and Jacob are there. Jacob goes home and this lovely conniving father takes his older daughter Leah and has her sneak into bed with Jacob and says that you should marry my older daughter. So he is with his older daughter for years and says that my true wife is Rachel. And so he works several years more, finally marries Rachel, and now Rachel, like Sarah and like Rebecca, 
her womb is closed for a specific son. So she is waiting and waiting, and while she is waiting, Leah has six children with Jacob. Leah's maidservant, Zilpah, has two children with Jacob. And Rachel's servant, Billa, has two children with Jacob. Actually, there's also a girl in there that Leah has. So there have been 11 children by this time we pick up the story. There have been 10 sons. And the son that I would suggest to you is the son, the person who God has in mind, is the womb waiting to open in Rachel. So we read in verse 22, then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and enabled her to conceive. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son and said, God has taken away my disgrace. The same thing that Elizabeth says in Luke 1.25. It is not a God law, but it is a human law at this point that the only way a woman is not disgraced is to give birth to a son. So like Sarah for 90 years, like Rebecca for a long time, Rachel is waiting and waiting and waiting and watching all these other children be born. And God now remembers Rachel. He opens her womb and this boy comes out and his name is Joseph. She named him, verse 24, Joseph and said, may the Lord add to me another son. And it would be a while, but he would answer that prayer in her as well. So, this is about 1915 B.C. when Joseph is born. Jacob is 91 years old. That's something we can lose in the picture when we're reading this story. Rachel is probably much younger than Jacob. So she is a young maiden when Jacob is an old man. Um, when Joseph is born to Rachel, Jacob is 91 years old. Um, he's an elderly man as Joseph comes and is born. Um, picking up the text, let's go to chapter 37. We fast forward 17 years from that moment. It's now 1898 B.C. A 17-year-old boy named Joseph is given a vision from God, from heaven, and Joseph says, I will explain the vision that God has given me from heaven to his brothers. They're in a place called Dothan watching sheep. Verse 2 of Genesis 37. This is the account of Jacob's family line. And this is interesting. When we come to Jacob's family line, it immediately begins talking about his 11th born son. Not his first, second, or 10th born son, but his 11th born son, and we'll see why. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Billah, the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. He's given an honest report. He's already becoming popular with his brothers, as you might guess. Verse 3, now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made him an ornate robe for him. Verse 4, When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. So he is wrongly 
elevating Joseph above his brothers. Joseph, spoiled children, usually don't grow up well. This is where I think we see Rachel behind the scenes because Joseph is the only son of Jacob that is, that is faithful to God, that from boyhood to death reveres God, is trusted in God and trusted by God. He's the only son. And that's why I think there is so much more to Rachel than we realize, so much more than being the favorite son of Jacob. Verse 5, Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Understand, this 17-year-old boy, this senior in high school, if you will, is being told by God, you're the head of Israel. So this 11th born son sees a vision where all of the other sons of Jacob, Israel, will bow down to Joseph. So this is doing two things. This is prophesying what's about to happen, but it is also God saying, Joseph is my son. He is my firstborn son. Reading on, verse 8. His brother said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream. And he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. This is God picturing Israel in Joseph's mind. And he says that the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bowed down to Joseph. So you see there in your notes a verse from Revelation chapter 12 and verse 1 where John is giving a vision of Israel during the tribulation at the return of Christ. And look at what this vision that John sees. So Joseph sees his vision 2,000 years before John. Revelation 12 and verse 1, A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with a sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. So this is drawn out of Joseph's vision where Israel, the woman in Revelation is Israel. And John makes that in Revelation 12 very clear that this woman is Israel and the 12 stars are the 12 sons. And when this vision appears 2,000 years earlier, it says that 11 of the stars bow down to one of them. So this doesn't make him God or like God, but this is God elevating Joseph above all of his brothers for a lot of reasons, but it is positioning him as the head of Israel. The son of Jacob, born the 11th, but the head of Israel. So when they would go into Egypt and be formed as a nation, it would be Joseph that would rule over them. It would be Joseph that would oversee the birth and growth of the nation of Israel and his sons would be significant as well. 
Turn now to Genesis chapter 50 at the end of Joseph's life. So what has happened now at 147 years old, Jacob has finally died. So you can do the math. Joseph was born when he was 91. Joseph's about 56 here, I think. And his father has finally died and his brothers have come to him and they've conjured this lie and they've said, you know what, when dad was still alive, um, remember what we did to you, how we threw you in a pit and we sold you as a slave? Dad says, now you need to forgive them, Joseph. And, And Joseph is probably half in tears thinking, you don't understand. You don't understand. So we pick it up in verse 18. His brothers came to him and threw themselves down, fulfilling a prophecy again before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So Joseph becomes prime minister of Egypt and he feeds the world. He tells Pharaoh that in these two visions there's going to be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine and he strategically stores up food. His his father and his brothers are starving to death. He brings them to Goshen where they would be formed and grow into a nation and he feeds the world. Joseph becomes the most powerful man on planet Earth and he never becomes proud as a result. And this is the son that Rachel was called by God to bring into the world, the one that he opened her womb for. Turn backwards now to Genesis chapter 35, where we see Rachel's prayer answered after she gave birth to Joseph. When we look through the scriptures closely, we see Joseph as the head of Israel, and we see Rachel as the mother of Israel. So in verse 16 of Genesis 35, we read, Then they moved on from Bethel, and what has happened here is Jacob is finally bringing his family home. He comes into north, actually coming, this way he's coming into northern Israel, coming south down to Bethel. He's going to come down farther to Ramah, and then he's going to go to Bethlehem, where David is from. Then they moved on from Bethel. While they were still some distance from Ephrath, so Bethlehem Ephrathah would be where Christ would be born, Rachel began to give birth and had great difficulty. She was having great difficulty in childbirth. The midwife said to her, Don't despair, for you have another son. As she breathed her last, she dies having this child. For she was dying. She named her son Ben-Onai, but her father named him Benjamin. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem, which the scribe put in there, that is Bethlehem. So this is anachronistically written in the Bible. There is no person Ephrath yet. There is no person Bethlehem yet, so there certainly is no place that is named that, but God is prophesying it, that that's where she would be buried, where the Messiah would be born. Verse 20, over her tomb, Jacob set up a pillar and set 
And to this day, the pillar marks Rachel's tomb. And you could find this if you went to Israel today. Verse 21, Israel moved on again and pitched his tent beyond Migdal Eder. While Israel was living in that region, Reuben went in and slept with his father's concubine, Billa, and Israel heard of it. So this event that is plugged in in verse 22, if you went to 1 Chronicles chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, the Chronicle would explain to you that this sin of Reuben caused the first son to be replaced by the 11th son. So in 1 Chronicles 5, 1 and 2, probably Ezra writes that when this sin happened, that Rachel's firstborn replaced Leah's firstborn, becoming God's firstborn of Jacob. So that is why years earlier, Joseph has these visions of being the son, the, the one over, the leader of Israel. So if we go to Jeremiah chapter 31, we are focusing on women, and I'm trying to understand myself and help you understand that, yes, Abraham is important, He had a wife who became pregnant because she believed that he who promised was faithful and he would do it. We have a woman next who is Rebecca who when she is asking for prophecy or asking for explanation, God, what's going on in my womb, that God speaks to the wife and not to the husband. Here is the future of these nations that are in your womb. We have Jacob meeting Rachel, and decades later, she finally gives birth. And Joseph, her son, has two visions that elevate him to the firstborn. And Reuben, during that time, commits this sin where Jacob puts him over Reuben and considers Joseph his firstborn. When we come to Jeremiah chapter 31, we read about the tribulation in the second half in chapter 30. Chapter 31 is the covenant with Israel that you and I are grafted into. So it is the covenant where Christ dies on the cross, pays for our sins, and remembers them no more that we are reading about in chapter 31. So we are talking about the history of Israel. We're studying this on Wednesday nights. Paul is explaining this in Romans Um, 9, 10, and 11, and we see this ingrafting and we see this building on the foundation of Israel, these people that God chose. We pick it up in Jeremiah 31 and verse 9, and he is referring to, he is writing this right after Judah is taken into captivity. So Judah is the tribe Jesus comes from that Jacob comes from, that Jerusalem is the capital of, and they have just been destroyed. The northern ten tribes, the two largest tribes in the north, are Ephraim and Manasseh, Joseph's two sons. So both of these nations and all of Israel is in captivity, as Jeremiah writes, Jeremiah 31, prophesying the millennium and the return of Christ. 
And Jeremiah writes in verse 9, they will come weeping. They will pray as I bring them back. I will lead them beside streams of water on level path, a level path where they will not stumble. He is talking about Zechariah 10 where they are weeping for their only son coming back, the Messiah coming to earth. And Jacob says, or Jeremiah says here, when they come back into the millennium and the promised line, they'll be weeping and praying at the same time. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for keeping your promises. Lord, help us to worship your son. Reading on, because I am Israel's father, listen to this, and Ephraim is my firstborn son. Ephraim is not Jacob's son, he is Joseph's son. So Ephraim is God's firstborn son. So the nation of the northern kingdom of Israel, capital in Samaria, is called Ephraim, named after Joseph's son. So we didn't look where, I think in um, Genesis chapter 47 or 48, where Jacob comes to bless Joseph's sons, and he says, these are my sons. And he puts his right hand on Manasseh and his left hand on Ephraim, and Joseph takes his hands and he switches them. Jacob tries to put them back, and Joseph switches them. And he puts his right hand on Ephraim, because Ephraim is the child of promise for Joseph. So the, the person of Joseph's line is primarily Ephraim, like Jacob and Esau, when they switched. So here in the prophecy of the millennium, Ephraim is called the firstborn. Verse 10, hear the word of the Lord, you nations. Proclaim it in distant coastlands. He who scattered Israel will gather them and will watch over his flock like a shepherd. Drop down to verse 15. This is what the Lord says. A voice is heard in Ramah, mourning and great weeping, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. So this is filled, fulfilled and fulfilled again. So the prophecy is given by Jeremiah here that the mother, in this sense, of Israel is Rachel. She is weeping because all of her children are in captivity. In 722 B.C., the northern ten tribes were taken into captivity, and they're still in captivity in 2023. In 586 B.C., the southern kingdom of Judah was taken into captivity where they are, as Jeremiah writes here. And Jeremiah, speaking by the Holy Spirit, says, Rachel is weeping for them because her children are in captivity and they are no more. So if, um, reading on before we leave, verse 16, this is what the Lord says, restrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for your work will be rewarded, declares the Lord. They will return from the land of the enemy. So there is hope for your descendants, declares the Lord. Your children will return to their own land I have surely heard Ephraim's moaning. You discipline me like an unruly calf, and, have, and I have been disciplined. Restore me, and I will return, because you are the Lord my God. After I strayed, I repented 
after I, became, after I came to understand, I beat my breast. I was ashamed and humiliated because I bore the disgrace of my youth. Is not Ephraim my dear son, the child in whom I delight? Though I often speak against him, I still remember him. Therefore my heart yearns for him. I have great compassion for him, declares the Lord. Turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 2. So that prophecy is going to be fulfilled in the millennium. It was fulfilled when they were taken into captivity. And Rachel, who had been dead for hundreds of years, is weeping as, in a sense, the mother of her children. In Matthew chapter 2, a descendant of Esau. Remember these two children are in the womb and Isaac wants to give the blessing to Esau and the Lord says no and Rebekah says no and they give it to Jacob. So a descendant of Esau is Herod, King Herod the Great, who is trying to find this new birth king, Jesus, and he's trying to kill him because he doesn't want a threat to his own throne. So he puts out a death warrant on every child two years old or younger that is a boy, and he kills them all. In verse 16 of Matthew chapter 2, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. So this prophecy is ultimately fulfilled when Herod kills the baby boys and Rachel, we are told, is weeping for her children because they are no more. So Rachel and Joseph are put in these positions in God's word for us to understand. Um, you see in your notes there a verse written by the Apostle Paul when he's explaining these things. I ask then, did God reject his people? By no means. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. So try to understand the big picture. We sang a song where we had God's, the Father's plan. The Father's plan is to reach the world with the gospel. It is to choose a nation to represent him. It is to build a church when his son raises from the dead. And he has these prominent individuals that he is going to go through. So if you think of Joseph, this son who is thrown into a pit, the firstborn of Rachel, the eleventhborn of Jacob, he is sold into slavery. Everywhere he goes, he is treated, treated horribly. Finally, he has visions and dreams that elevate him to prime minister of Egypt, where he, he sits in rule over Israel as they become a nation. He has these sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, Ephraim is called by God, his firstborn son. Joseph's mother prays when he is born that I may have another son. 
she has a second son, and his name is Benjamin. So when you fly over the expanse of time, when Israel is formed as a nation, it is Joseph who rules them, who they bow down to, who never becomes prideful. When they go into the promised land, the, rede the redeemer picture is a man named Joshua. And his, his birth name is actually Hosea, which means salvation. Moses changes his name to Joshua or Yeshua, which is the equivalent of Christ, of Jesus. So Moses, for our understanding, changes Hosea's name to Jesus. So he pictures Jesus as the Redeemer, taking Israel into the Promised Land. He is a descendant of Ephraim. So the, the one who rules and resides as the firstborn is Joseph. The one who leads them into the Promised Land is Joseph's son, in a sense, a descendant of Ephraim, who leads them into the Promised Land. And then when we have the Gospel written to the world, when Christ himself says, you will bring the gospel to the Gentiles, to the kings and to their rulers, and you will write the gospel for mankind, it is a descendant of Rachel's other son, Benjamin. So it isn't as if God forced any of this, but he knew all of this before it began. So we can understand way back in Genesis why Joseph has a vision of 11 stars bowing down to him. Not pride, not arrogance, prophecy. And these descendants of his. Turn in your Bibles to, um, let's see, Judges chapter 13. The focus in, much of the focus in all of that was this woman, Rachel, that we are not told a lot about but we see her weeping as the mother of Israel and their descendants. And we see her descendants like Joseph, like Joshua, like the Apostle Paul, born as a descendant of the twelfth born son of Jacob, named Benjamin. In the book of Judges, we're going to look at a few more women a little bit more quickly than we did Rachel. In the book of Judges, in chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, it has been 40 years of oppression that has happened to this moment. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. A certain man of, of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was childish, childless, unable to give birth. And she becomes the focus, not the husband. The wife becomes the focus here. Here is another woman whose womb is closed. Um, we don't know how long it's been closed, but we know that for 40 years, the birth of this child has been anticipated. Who is going to deliver Israel? Who is going to be their defender? Who is going to be their warrior? Verse 3. The angel of the Lord, and 100% of the time, that name in the Old Testament is pre-incarnate Christ. So Christ, the angel of the Lord, appeared to her, not her 
husband and said, you are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. You now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched with a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite. And here's the definition of a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. So there's this 40 years of oppression. There's, there's this man named Manoah, and unfortunately we don't even know this woman's name, but this woman who is undoubtedly praying to become pregnant has Christ himself come down to her in a theophany, a, a visual picture of what looks like a human being, say to her, you're childless and barren, but I'm going to make sure you're pregnant and your son is going to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. And he is to be a Nazarite. Well, the, the actions of a Nazarite is not to have anything to do with grapes. We know Samson disobeyed that. He is not to touch anything unclean. Out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. What did he do? He ate honey out of a dead lion. Um, the one thing that he held on to for a while that he didn't do was cut his hair. And when he did cut his hair, God left him. The Spirit of God left him. But I think it's unique here, and I'm not claiming to understand all of this. But the one who wouldn't keep the vow was the son. Mom, I want you to do it for him. I would be willing to bet that Samson's mother never touched a grape from that moment on. Never drank wine. Never touched anything unclean, including family members that had passed or anything. That she became a Nazarite woman, maybe the only one in the Bible. And it was the Lord coming to her specifically. Turn to 2 Chronicles 22. We look at a dark time in the history of Israel, specifically Judah. We find a hero woman here, 2 Chronicles chapter 22. To fill in some history here, um, this woman's grandfather is one of the best kings in the history of Judah. His name is Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat makes one mistake in his life. His son marries Ahab and Jezebel's daughter. Two of the most wicked people in the Bible have a daughter. Jotham is attracted to her and he marries her. So when their son Ahaziah dies, she kills the entire royal family except for one. So 2 Chronicles chapter 22, beginning in verse 10, her name is Athaliah. This is the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. Verse 10. When Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she proceeded to destroy the whole royal family of the house of Judah. But Jehoshaphat, here's our hero woman of this story, the daughter of King Jehoram, 
took Joash, son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the royal princes who were about to be murdered and put him and his nurse in a bedroom because Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Jehoram and wife of the priest of Jehoiada was Ahaziah's sister. So this is her nephew, Joash. She hid him from, hid the child from Athaliah so she could not kill him. She remained, he remained hidden with them at the temple of God for six years while Athaliah ruled the land. So a trivia question, did a woman ever sit on David's throne? Yes, her name was Athaliah. How long? Six years. Why is she there? Because she took the entire royal family and slaughtered them. And she's going to slaughter this one-year-old baby as well. And Jehoshaphat, who's this baby's aunt, risks her life, gets her way in, steals this baby and this baby's nurse. And the story is quick to read, but she hid him for six years. She basically took six years of her own life and chose seclusion. And she chose to live for six years and never see the light of day in the one place Athaliah would never look, in the temple. So if we read on in this story, Jehoiada and Jehoshaphat bring this son out at the age of seven, put him on the throne, and this seven-year-old boy orders the death of Athaliah. But this is an adoption and a rescue by an aunt of her nephew, risking her life so that, yes, Joash will sit on the throne, but do you also realize that the genealogy of Jesus Christ was at risk? If Joash dies, there's no one to follow in the line of Christ, and she preserves that line. Let's turn in our Bibles to um, Luke chapter 1. We'll just look at a couple more. More familiar people to us. As we look at Elizabeth and Mary, we're basically going from Abraham to Christ, or should I say from Sarah to Mary, as we are honoring women today. In Luke chapter 1, verses 1, or let's see, verses 5 through 7, we're just touching this story, so it would be a good story to review and read yourself. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. So again, this is a woman living in disgrace because she can't conceive a son. They are both descendants of Aaron. They are both righteous, and they do what God asks them to do faithfully. And they've been married for a long time, praying for a child, not having a child, remaining faithful. We drop down to verse 24. When Elizabeth had become pregnant, and was able to give birth, 
After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. No one even knew probably that she was pregnant. She says in verse 25, the same thing that Rachel says. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In those da these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. She was looked down, wrongfully so, because she wasn't able to bear Zechariah, who was a priest, a son. Drop down to verse 39. This is that glorious meeting of Elizabeth and Mary who are both pregnant now. Verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. So drop down to chapter, chapter 1, verse 26 actually going backwards there, when the promise was given to Mary. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. So unlike Sarah and Manoah's wife and Rachel and Rebecca and Elizabeth, Mary's not pregnant for a good reason. She's a young woman who's never been with a man. Reading on verse 28, the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God, just like Elizabeth had. Verse 31, You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So, you, so the Holy One born, to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she, who is said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail, and I love Mary's response. I am the Lord's servant, Mary's answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. So we have these women all throughout history that we're familiar with their husbands' names, we're familiar with their sons' names, and we see that at many key points where the woman of faith is the reason the line goes forward, where the woman of faith is the one that God decides to contact directly from heaven. 
most all of these women, it was God speaking to them rather than their husband. Not saying that their husband weren't men of faith, just acknowledging the fact that we ignore women in history more than we ought to and, and how significantly God has used them. Um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for so many other women that we didn't look at in your word today that were critical to your story, to your plan, to the, the story of your son. Thank you for the women in this room who have made sacrifices, who have given up their life um, to give and support life in their children and will continue to do so. For the grandmothers who have guided mothers to do the same thing. And Lord, help us to, as we are commanded, to honor our mothers, um, to live lives that show our appreciation for them. Thank you for them, in Jesus' name, amen.